Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. This is Robbie Martin. Welcome, everybody. So sorry for the delay in the podcast. I've been out of the country traveling. Um, so sorry about not getting up a podcast. I know that there's been tons of crazy stuff going on and people have been asking us. So we're going we're gonna to pack it on in. But Robbie just did a solo podcast. Um, Robbie, if you want to talk about what that was so people could check it out. Yeah, so the, the previous podcast of this one, if you missed it, um, I go over a bunch of shit um, that's been happening. I go over the fact that the sort of the alt-right, new right, you know, conspiracy right has lost control of the QAnon narrative. Um, Jerome Corsi and Alex Jones are now saying that it's a PSYOP and that it's fake, <laughs> um, which is fascinating to have them make such a giant reversal like that after they were the two biggest people trumpeting that. Um I talked about the the embassy moving to Jerusalem. Um, I talked about uh, the fact that Rudy Giuliani has his his neck deep in fucking like deep state criminal activity. Um, one of the most crazy, blatant like deep state actor, like criminal, like protected criminals I've ever seen, um, is now Trump's main lawyer, and he's going on TV defending Trump. Um, I talked about the North Korea and. Um, detente that's being attempted between Trump administration, South Korea, North Korea, and cool. the Max Thunder exercise that seems to have thwarted it. And also John Bolton saying he's going to use the Libya model on North Korea. Um, so I go over all that yeah, stuff. That's crazy really quick that John Bolton, you know, in, in the, in the midst of this detente that John Bolton's just like issuing like genocidal threats again. And then also Trump just nonchalantly is just like, yeah, he's like, we totally decimated Libya. And he's like, that that might have to happen again. It's just like, how could you even? Oh, did get he away actually with say that? This? I didn't. I, yes, I saw him say it. Yeah, that's very yeah. interesting because I saw him also say something to like contradict John Bolton as well. So I didn't see that thing you're saying. So that's yeah. just bizarre that he would say both things because yeah, he in the White House he was like asked by a, someone in the press about the Libya model comment and he's like, no, we're not going to use like a Libya model. He's like, I don't, he's like, that's not the model we're using or something. We haven't even discussed that or something like that. That is so, he just talks out of both sides of his mouth. He's yeah. such a con man. I mean, it's wow. even, even the Rudy Giuliani thing alone, we haven't even really talked about that, but just really quickly, that is really strange because the entire media reacted to that initial Stormy Daniels revelation that Giuliani made on Hannity as if it was a slip up. And that like Giuliani fucked up and like slipped and admitted that they funneled the money through Michael Cohen. But it's weird because I watched it multiple times. I watched other Giuliani interviews and it actually seems like a deliberate re reveal. Um, yeah. Which is odd because I, it just seems like a very bizarre move, legally speaking. I mean, I, I've been reading Jonathan Turley is a little bit, um, sometimes he's a little bit too soft on Trump. Um, but his legal analysis lately has been really interesting to me because he's been sort of defending Trump in certain instances, but now he's like Rudy Giuliani has like zero understanding of the law. He's like acting insane on television. <laughs> um, he's not helping Trump. He's, he's just written a series of articles sort of like just sh acting shocked um, at yeah. how Gi Giuliani is acting on television. Even just saying a president cannot be subpoenaed or indicted is, is incorrect, as Turley points so out in weird. an article. So, so weird. Um, so yeah, listen to that, uh, go over all that stuff quite a bit. Um, and then also cool. this bizarre, um, uh, revelation of Frank Gaffney's employee, um, uncle Jimbo, um, 
who goes by the name Uncle Jimbo on Twitter, who's part of an Islamophobic neocon think tank, is being tapped by Trump and John Bolton for Iranian regime change plans that he had like written up like years ago or something. That is very, very bizarre. So, um, <laughs> so that's pretty much yeah. it. So let's yeah, get into man, the new it shit. is bizarre. It is bizarre. I mean, well, I was just going to tell people in case they're wondering why we haven't put out a new Empire Files episode. It's because of the U.S. government. The U.S. government put debilitating sanctions on Venezuela since Trump got into office that has basically seized all asset transfers and the ability to basically pay out anything beyond um, Caracas. So, you know, anything short of me going down there with a suitcase to get Bolivars and bring it back. Um, which I almost am going to do because I, you know, we just really are are without payment because we're waiting for for these funds to be transferred. And it really all stems from the U.S. government doing everything in its power to not have, again, just like RT with the FAR registration and this smear campaign about Russian collusion, they're doing everything in their power to basically seize all operations and make it impossible to function as a network without shutting it down completely. But Telesaur has been so much more under the radar you know, it obviously is still a threat to the U.S., but like the fact that no one's really talking about how the sanctions are affecting the network is crazy to me. Um, so that's happening. And and we'll get into the election at the end of the broadcast. But after the election, they're going to slap a whole new round of sanctions, which is going to further um, destabilize the economy, exacerbate the crisis and affect average Venezuelan citizens. Those same people that they claim that they are helping alleviate their suffering. Those are actually hurting them. Obviously it's an act of war. Um, so stay tuned for that at the end of the broadcast, we're going to get into the Venezuelan elections, but just a heads up about empire files. Um, and I just did a really great event in Munich, Germany with Jill Stein and Glenn Greenwald that everyone should check out on activism Munich. It's posted on MediaRoots.org. Um, it's just amazing. It, it's, it's this incredible organization who just, um, brings in a lot of important international voices to, to, to the stage and, Munich was just really surreal, Robbie. I haven't even talked to you about this. It was like seriously like a police state. Um, and this guy, uh, Zen, was t- Zen Raza is the host, and he was, he's lived there for a while, and he was just like, yeah, I mean, it's just really surreal. It's like instead of rooting out what bred Nazism and all the crazy shit that's happened in Germany, instead they just have basically centered them- themselves, like that you can't talk about Palestine. Even Haaretz journalists are banned from public squares to talk about BDS, it's just like a very self-censored society that hasn't really dealt with, you know, the problems <laughs> yeah. that, that bred uh, all, all the things that have happened in the last uh, century. So it was just really interesting. Um, but there's police that basically uh, stopped him. He was Pakistani and they stopped him and he stopped us both nights just milling around the streets and like stopped us for like an hour. I felt like I was like in the occupied West Bank again. I was just like, wow, what a bizarre city. Why'd um, they stop you? Um, I have no idea. Like it was really, really uncomfortable. And Zen was just like, this is our daily life. You cannot walk around the streets here without just getting like searched and stopped. And, um, yeah, it was really weird. It was really weird. And, and just the self-censorship is just really disturbing. The fact that Palestine is basically off limits. Meanwhile, there is a Holocaust going on, you know? Yeah. Um, two Palestinians. So yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy, but check out the event. Um, it was really incredible event. And Jill Stein, I have just a whole newfound respect for her. I spent a lot of time with her. She was terrific. Glenn killed it, uh, um, talking about stuff. So yeah, it was great. I Um, watched, uh, I watched the interview. I think it was, Oh, you did. 
uh, interviewing you, right? Is that his, yeah. his name? Um, yeah, yeah. It was great. I, I really, I thought it was amazing. Um, oh, thank you, yeah. Robbie. Very powerful so stuff. And your Thanks interview so on Joe Rogan um, that happened a couple of weeks ago was also extremely powerful. Um, and I just talked about it a little bit on the last podcast and just Oh, how, yeah, shit. We, we haven't even done a podcast since then. No. Damn. Yeah, everyone I mean, check out the Joe Rogan interview. I mean, interview. We'll, we'll get into the Gaza stuff yeah. a little later, but like, I mean that it's just so important the timing of of when you were able to get that message out, you know, mm-hmm. right on the cusp of this giant massacre that happened. Um, I think that it you know it possibly sh- even shifted things. I mean that video already has over a million views, um, and uh, even Judd Apatow, I noticed, started tweeting in support of Palestinians and was very very vehemently against the IDF propaganda that was happening. And I I thought that was pretty notable um he's a very influential figure um he's you know he has access to all of gary shanneling's diaries now he's working on this like mini series about gary shanneling um you know even cross my mind maybe you know i think i have a suspicion he's even running gary shanneling's twitter account so maybe he maybe he sees that gary shanneling used to follow you on twitter i don't know i have no idea what's what's going on but um to see him taking a stand like that i think is is very important. I mean, it, it seems maybe minuscule, but I don't think it is. Um, no, it's not minuscule no. at all. That's huge. And already huge. Sarah Silverman is backpedaling because she stood up for Emhead Tamini a couple months ago, and now she's just pro- literally reposting and retweeting Hasbro about how oh, all the people are Hamas. So wow. someone gave her a talking to. Well, um, we're going to get into how fucking nuts that shit is real soon. Yeah. Um, a really quick side note, the Santa Fe mass shooting, again, another mass shooting in America. I think the most noteworthy thing about this is the, uh, you know, again, this guy was like harassing a woman, you know, he's, he's, he, and and like the passive and weird distortion of the media being like, this woman rejected him like in class. It's like, why don't you just say like, he fucking went and killed this woman who like, didn't like him. I mean, it's just like the weirdest way that the media talks about these people after they're like lauded and made into these celebrities, you know, after killing a bunch of people. Um, but what's even more insane is the way that obviously the NRA and like the politicians just talk about it. Like they come out and they're like, all right guys, it's totally totalitarian to even remotely suggest any form of gun control. So instead you should have um, bulletproof blankets, transparent backpacks, and one exit and entrance for every school. The Texas Lieutenant Governor, Dan Patrick, said that this was all enabled because Texas schools have too many entrances and exits. He was like, hey, we have to look at the designs of our schools moving forward. He's like, we need to retrofit the schools that are built. He's like, there's way too many entrances and exits um, and we, and, you know, it's just too much to put a guard at every entrance and exit. It's like, what the fuck? Like, really? Like, it's, I mean, it's just insane what they're actually like bending over backwards to make this about anything but, you know? Yeah, they can't possibly um, give up any, you know, anything at all in terms of like gun control, the gun control argument. Um, they've already <laughs> drawn the line in the sand, you know, that's, that's how they're going to, that's how they're going to be. Um, and it's just really sad that, it's, you know, nobody's, I mean, nobody's really even talking about banning guns completely. Right. No, that's what's not. so interesting about it. It's like, they act like making it harder to buy certain types of guns is like a huge affront, you know, cause it's like a slippery slope that'll eventually disarm the populace. I mean, it's, let's just be realistic. It'll be impossible 
for, for it, it, like, let's just say if that fantasy scenario played out, it, it would be impossible to disarm the American public. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. There's mm-hmm. too many guns here. It's just, it's too late. Like, there's no way to do it. So, I mean, that's just, to me, a bizarre fear um, happening. There's so many more realistic fears about, like, totalitarianism creeping into our lives and, like, stifling our civil liberties than that one. Um, that it's sad that so many people like define their entire civil liberties activism around that specifically. You know? And even Dana Loesch was like, yeah, put, you know, let's, let's ramp up security and militarization of these schools. It's like, isn't that totalitarian? Like police state mm-hmm. measures? It's like, you're encouraging that. And we already That's have. extremely disturbing. We already have armed guards in a lot of schools. And in the yeah. example of um, the Parkland shooting, the armed guard didn't do anything. Right. So- it's it's like all these arguments really don't hold water when you really look at a lot of examples. I mean, so. Yeah. And then you have Oliver North heading the NRA. I mean, it's just comical. It's super comical. Yeah. It's really interesting how these sort of these neocon, like classic old school neocon, like Reaganite factions are now joining forces with like the populism, like militia, like right wing pe- like group of people. It's a bit strange. Um, that didn't used to be the case. There used to be like a separation between the two. So for the all for Oliver North to be appointed head of the NRA is just an odd, you know, shows an odd shift happening. Yeah. Do you want to just really briefly talk about, I mean, he was just the central figure of the Iran-Contra scandal um, where they were selling, you know, weapons to basically try to, they were like playing both sides. But um, yeah, he he was he was a gun runner. And it's just like crazy that he's even... I don't know. I was really surprised. Um, I guess I shouldn't have been because we just live in such a weird time. Well, yeah, I was surprised that they would like propel him to be, to lead the NRA. Yeah. And I mean, it's such an obvious, like crazy thing to have someone like him being appointed the NRA that even David Hogg said something about, uh, you know, I'm not like saying David Hogg's like a genius because this is like such an obvious point that the guy like protected, um, you know, cocaine traffickers. Yeah. And these giant cartel drug dealers on behalf of the U.S. government. So uh, that's just, you know, just strange because most people who are probably NRA members want, you know, probably fantasize about the opportunity of shooting like a home invader robber that's trying to rob them for crack money, you know? And when I yeah, say like, that, I really sh- mean it's code out. for shooting a black person. Or like going out to the border and like shooting the undocumented oh, yeah, people of course, or refugees. Yeah. Like, a, like an undocumented the, immigrant who's yeah. throwing like a bag of heroin over the border. And as soon as they, you know, they, they, they pop up, they you know, you take right. them out because it's like a, you know, it's giving, to bringing drugs over our border. But yet Oliver North um, helped flood the streets of the United States with crack cocaine. And he's now head of the NRA. And that's yeah. a, this is very strange. It's kind of like Eric Prince being like this anti-deep state hero or something. It's like, whoa, dude, like, hold it, like, put on the brakes for a second. Like, what the fuck is happening here? (laughs) I don't know. David Cross said something really funny. He was like, obviously, libtards, the solution is vertical schools. He was like, one child on every floor. So the mass shooter will get very tired (laughs) running up like 12,000 flights. (laughs) He's like, you libtard morons. Um what mental capacity is Trump at today and what bizarre tweet rampage is he going on? And, and it just can't stop talking about Hillary, this weird tweet thread about the FBI. And I hereby declare that I am going to do this. It's like, but Hillary was more corrupt. Yeah. It's, what was that even about? Well, this is the strange thing about this particular revelation that came out 
who I believe first in the New York Times, and it was buried in the in a larger story, and then the Wall Street Journal and some other outlets decided to run with um, that that the sort of buried lead in that story about how apparently an FBI informant was spying on the Trump campaign um, during 2016 um, while Obama was still in office. And if it's true, I mean, if it turns out to be true, and, and it seems like it is, actually a lot of people are defending it, not denying it from sort of the resistance side, then that looks really bad for all of them. And it, I mean, as much as I hate Trump and despise him, and, and think he's a total piece of shit and a monster, it's actually worrisome that this could vindicate a lot of the, you know, the shit he's been saying. Not just about the Russiagate investigation being a witch hunt, but that his campaign had people like, like trying to fuck with it, you know, from who made it, might have been working for the Obama administration um, before he got into office or before the election. And that just, that does give the impression that there were some kind of dirty tricks being played. But yet, like, I don't know. It's like what Trump does, Trump is very good at like exaggerating, being hyperbolic and like using these talking points, like these red meat right wing talking points to throw out to his base. So I, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. It's, but it's hard to determine where it is because the right-wing media will hysterically run with and you know inflate and blow up something to just make it seem like it's this big thing when it's like you really have to look at each individual piece of it. It's like the Hillary Clinton uranium ore scandal. Like they blew that up to be like a story for like a year or like le- you know almost a year. It's like you know, and that's like a you know that's really a small potatoes thing. It's not really. It's kind of almost like a non-story actually. So this is still. So this is still part of the whole Obama wiretapped Trump Tower, or is this a different? This is a part in of the same wheelhouse, probe, but it's not probe. the exact same story. Okay. That story right. was originally alleging that someone tapped Trump Tower to but like to spy on Manafort, and that right. it was apparently Susan Rice who yeah. somehow got them to do that through like the FISA court. That's not, I don't know if that's ever been proven. Um, if someone's listening, you know, and it has been proven, please correct us on that. Yeah. But um, I I mean, this, this seems to be more like more blatantly, you know, like out in the open. Um, yeah. And and you could look it up right now. I mean, there's there's an intercept article out of, about it. Um, the, the FBI informant has been named. Everyone was really upset from the resistance because I guess they say that the Trump administration had someone leak the guy's name out or something. Um, like he was like. Well, it's a un- shame. It's a shame that Trump isn't coherent enough to just say what you just said. It's like it's just I couldn't even decipher what that, the hell he was even saying. Well, exactly. That's remember, remember when he first tweeted like six months ago, like I was wired, like Obama right. wiretapped me. <laughs> remember that? It was like something yeah, just yeah, like yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. It was like what? <laughs> it was like that's how you come out with an allegation you heard. <laughs> Just like a one tweet with like no information, like that is sloppy as fuck, dude. But as we saw, all of his like MAGA bootlicker, you know, red pilled idiot brigade just took it and ran with it without any evidence or proof. And they still, you know, they they don't need any. It's just as long as the president makes an accusation, that's all they need, you know. And then they could just like go through that weird feedback loop of Gateway Pundit, Daily Caller, yep. Life Zet, you know, all those stupid websites. Yeah. Um, so, but it's like buried in there somewhere are kernels of truth. And it's unfortunate 
that there aren't any, like, there are very few of these, like, you know, right-leaning journalists who actually try to portray actually what's happening without this, like, partisan dog shit spin on it. Um, mm-hmm. Because we can't really tell. And, and yeah, I mean, it's it's too bad that Trump couldn't just be level-headed about this and actually do a press conference laying out yeah. th- what happened. Like, if he did that, it could have a powerful effect, but instead he just wants to go for the reptile brain, the amygdala, and just keep, like, you know, hitting the button, you know, like almost yep. like a monkey hitting the orgasm button and like until it dies. It's like he, he right. that's all he knows how to do. Um, so it's sad because I, I feel like he could have utilized this sort of this this thing happening against him and made himself to be more of a martyr and like a more smarter way, Mm -hmm. um, obviously. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So I don't really know what's happening. I mean, I've always thought the Russiagate investigation was, was bullshit. Um, But that's not to say that Trump isn't, you know, a corrupt criminal and that he he probably has a trail of crimes behind him. Oh, of course. And and like you just said, Trump doesn't know how to do anything but that. Well, Hillary doesn't know how to do anything but continue to just um, pretend like she's running for something. And and again, I mean, the Russian stuff has turned into just satire at this point. It's yeah. So she did a she did a commencement speech, I believe. Let me actually look this up. I'm not sure what the speech was for, Um, but she it was at Yale. and she, at the end of the speech, she put on a, like a old school, like Soviet Union, Russia hat. Um, it was actually, yeah, it was at <laughs> Yale graduation speech. Um, and she says, if you can't beat them, join them. So she literally puts on like an old school, like, um, you know, like Boris and Natasha style, like r- cartoon oh Russian God. hat. So, yeah, she's awesome. I mean, she's, she's really wow. nailing it. You know, just like the hot sauce being pulled out of her purse. Um, but today I was calling Hillary Clinton a prop comic because she also was the one who, you know, laughed and thought that Russia reset button was really funny and silly, you know, when she was bringing it to Lavrov, um, even though the button actually said overload and not reset. <laughs> <laughs> Translated in Russian to overload. Was that a sly, subtle hint of what was going to come? Oh my God. Was that a CIA troll job? Like, let's just like insinuate that we're going to overload the fuck out of the Cold War II ramp up. <laughs> like, anyways. This, the, the Cold War II <laughs> stuff is so crazy. I mean, speaking of Jill Stein, um, you know, when I saw her, she was just like, yeah, she's like, it's just been a really tough couple months um, because, as we know, the investigation has gone to such outrageous lengths that they have demanded Jill turn over. You know, not not just all of her communications with Russian state media, not just all of her communications with WikiLeaks, which is like barely anything except her just um, literally arranging interviews with RT, but also to hand over all communique with Russian persons, like literally of just Russian descent. Um, and she refused to do that because she was like that. First of all, it's unbelievably unconstitutional. And second of all, it's just like extremely like it would be really hard to do. It's like, you know, during your whole life, like anyone who was a Russian that you interacted with, um, completely insane. So they asked her to do that and she, you know, she refused to to comply with all of it. And then of course, everyone's just like, well, what do you have to hide? What do you have to hide, Jill? And she's like, nothing. She's like, do you realize how egregious this is? Like she went on CNN and the host was just like, this is, he was like, this just makes you look really bad. And she was like, do you realize what they're asking me to do though? Like, do you realize that? And then, and then you have James Clapper, who just got hired, I think, either by by NBC or one of those networks, 
and this is a guy who perjured himself twice, he actually said that Russians are genetically disposed to be co-optative and disruptive, genetically, genetically bred to be just uh, crazy, disruptive, co-optative people. I mean, and just imagine replacing the word Russians with any other nationality or group of people. It's They'd in those, their Slavic un- genes, yeah. Abby. They're they're bred to be trolls. That's, yeah. It's it's They're born it's bots. Like, what's weird about that? Him saying something like that is it's almost more extreme than sort of like the Team B Reagan era conspiracy theories being spun by the neocons inside the U.S. government that every single like act of terrorism or like unrest in the world was a secret Soviet Union plot to disrupt like Western society. Yeah. I mean, it's even, to me, it's like even more extreme than saying that. But I mean, that's just odd. But he's not the only one saying stuff like that. Wasn't like Julia Loff saying something like yeah. that Russians yep. are like genetically like fucked up or like Louise Mensch used to say stuff like that or something? I mean, you're right. It's beyond just the Russian state and the Kremlin. And now it's just Russians. It's and just Russian it's just, people yeah, it's like are de- not human- to be trusted. It's like literally dehumanizing like, pe- like people who are Russian. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's where we're at. It's strange. That's where we're at. And, and um, you know, they basically, every, we already know this, that everything that's to the left of center is, is, is backed by evil Kremlin forces. You know, our interview with Anoa Changa. I mean, these black radicals, fracking activists, oil pipeline activists, anti-NRA people, all of us and leftists and socialists and Bernie Sanders people, we're all Kremlin stooges doing the bidding of Russia um, because no, our enemies are not the people f- sitting in faraway lands with with assets hoarded offshore. No, it's it's us. It's our friends. It's our neighbors. It's our colleagues that seemingly look normal, right? And seemingly like they're doing good work, but really they just have evil Russian forces behind them, co-opting their movements and and shaping, you know, the fomenting the radical discontent in the country. That's what they want us to think. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. They they really left no left activist unmarked by this um, idea that everyone you know that Russia is trying to control everyone who's trying to like disrupt the status quo. Mm-hmm. I I can't think of any figure. I mean, maybe like maybe the one only one I could think of is like Cornell West. Have they tried to say that he's a Russian useful idiot? I, no, I'm but tr- if he comes out with something now, then they probably will. They'll just be like, oh, it's just Cornell. Just yeah. stooge. I feel like even he might have been feeling a little pressure early on because I remember when he even went on your RT show, he was like, like took like a minute to just start talking about Putin. Like he felt like he had to or something. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, well, you know, I can understand why he'd do that to sort of save face. You know, it's kind of a career uh, saving move. But, you know, it does to me, it doesn't look good because it's like it shows that you are feeling this weird pressure like that. Who was that vice journalist you sent you sent the tweet from the other day who was like, look, guys, it's called nuance. You can both think that like the like Israeli is massacring oh, Salon, Palestinians, Salani. but also think Hamas is like using violence unnecessarily. It's called nuance. It's like there's no Hamas violence, you fucking idiot. Like that's not Bernie nuance, Sanders, that's a lie. Even Bernie Sanders had he was the only person that criticized the Gaza massacre. And even he had to say Hamas violence does not excuse this. It's like what Hamas violence? Yeah, where's Hamas violence? Where is it? I have not seen a single video clip or picture of a Hamas like armed fighter going to the border. Right. So are we so basically the story that Hamas is claiming that all these people of theirs like died fighting or whatever? It's like that's the that's the end all. Oh, okay, then they were all Hamas. 
mm-hmm. and they all deserve to die. It's like, what the fuck is wrong? With, it's really bizarre how that's all it takes to like make people just in, unable to take a moral stand. You know, it's, it's like these reporters act like they have to be nuanced, but yet like, why, why wouldn't you just like want to stand on the right side of history? Well, Salome Anderson is a terrible person who, um, her tweet about the Gaza thing. Oh, we need nuance. We need nuance. I can, you know, I, Hey, I'm an unbiased objective journalist. I can say that Hamas is bad and that the Israeli government's bad. It's like, actually you're conflating um, something that should not be conflated at all. Um, You're literally saying that, you know, it's just a conflict. It's just really complicated conflict that's been going on for hundreds of years. And it's just too, too complex. And both sides are bad. Like, no, yeah, it's um, almost like it's almost like in the midst of say if like during the Fallujah assault in Iraq, if some vice journalist asshole was like, "Here's here's nuance, guys. I think the U.S. government military is killing a lot of civilians unnecessarily, and I think Saddam Hussein is a brutal butcher dictator who needed to step, who needed to be like and removed from office." And I think the resistance office. is like it's like that's an like intelligent point of view, guys. Like, what are you talking about, you right, careerist right. fucking clown? Yeah, yeah, like it's so right obvious. After the Nasser Square Massacre to like get on and be like, yeah, like Blackwater is bad, but like so are the Iraqis because they're like fighting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fighting their occupiers. It's just this propaganda is just so base level. I just, and that, but the sad thing is that's like the intellectual, you know, trappings, like that's trying to be like intellectual propaganda, like acting like, right. here's the smart position to take. Well, and um, she also, and I won't, I don't want to say much more about her, but she, she uses a lot of Hezbollah sources in quotes that have been discredited and she's had to actually denounce later on. And all of these articles are written about it where she's just basically parodying Israeli propaganda. And I was going to talk about this story about how the Pentagon, you know, we heard about like, oh, going back to the, to 9-11, how this has been like a trope going on for the last 20 years. Well, guess what? The number is actually $21 trillion dollars. That's missing and unaccounted for from Pentagon spending. Isn't that incredible? $21 trillion. I don't even understand how much money that is. I don't understand how $21 billion, how much money that is. But can you just imagine $21 trillion? I mean, where is that? Is it just going like pallets of cash given to like Syrian rebels? Like, what? like where is this going? It's just unbelievable. This vacuum of just money that's just like gone. Um, so that's happening. And and Lee Camp just wrote an article about it for Truth Dig that you guys can check out. But yeah, it's the largest theft in American history. Here we are with a $700 billion, what, military budget, the biggest that it's ever been. And we think that's crazy. Well, what's all this going on behind the scenes? Where's all this money being transferred? Who are we paying out? Um, it's just theft, theft and robbery. Um, it's just unreal. Yeah, it is really unreal. And, um, you know, while we have all this like real corruption happening where all this money is just disappearing um, and just nobody cares, uh, there's this other, you know, whole other side of it, which is like a fantasy corruption scandal. Um, You know, and I talked about it in the last podcast, but basically, you know, people, people somehow still think that like Trump is about to like round up all these people like Hillary Clinton, Brennan, Obama, and then like throw them all in Gitmo or jail. And just, I just saw this pop up randomly just now. Michael Flynn Jr. tweeted on May 21st, um, you are all going down. You know who you are. Mark my word. 
Um, so yeah, mark just, my word. Just a very <laughs> interesting thing that there that th- this guy who was one of the biggest people associated with the Trump campaign, literally pushing PizzaGate on a daily basis, would be saying this right now. Um, and I, I, I'm just very confused about what people think is going to happen. I mean, even if Trump manages to get some traction on this like FBI guy that's been supposedly planted in his campaign, I feel like he's just dug himself such a big hole. Like I don't, I don't understand what these people think is going to happen. So anyway, sorry. I just, just, yeah, no, it is, it is, it is an absurd fake corruption thing. And then, you know, while you have uh, this theft and robbery from the 0.01% on all of us, we're busy, you know, the Trump phenomenon has basically emboldened all these bigots where every day, every other day, it's another black person doing his job and getting the cops called on him. Um, I'm sure everyone saw the meme of the woman in Oakland with the phone, uh, it's just hilarious. It's, I mean, hilarious being not the right word to use. It's tragic. It's tragic. And I think that this has always been going on. Um, but it just seems like it's getting worse probably because we're just seeing the stories. Um, yeah, and there's which, more which I love it because it's like the reverse Breitbart. It's like Breitbart, you know, hones in on the, the black news tab where they're just highlighting yeah. those stories that black make black people look like the, big, call, yeah, yeah. the biggest danger uh, in the world. But now I love that the reverse trend is happening where now we're seeing how outrageous it is to really live as a black person in society and how hard it is for to just do your job. Yeah. That guy in California and both, and like both of these videos were in California in like yeah, rather liberal so areas. And that when I say both of these videos, I forgot to mention the other video that I was thinking of was the guy yelling at the um, Muslim woman saying, what, is it Halloween um, in the Starbucks? I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was disappointed that that guy didn't get dragged like that lawyer guy did who was like yelling at the person for speaking Spanish. Yeah. Because <laughs> like New York Post and all these other newspapers actually like followed that guy and like like tracked him down and were like waiting outside of his workplace like uh, multiple times. And they even had like a... Um, like a rally outside of his office where they made a pinata of his face and beat it. Yeah, there's like a mariachi band out yeah, there. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, not saying that that guy didn't deserve to get dragged, but I personally, when someone goes after like a Muslim like that, like I get ten times angrier because I have been, you know, railing against Islamophobia and the demonization of Muslims ever since nine eleven, and um, it just really disgusts me to see someone get away with something like that. So. Yeah, he was screaming, "You're! I know your religion. You want to kill me?" He's just yeah. I don't face. like you because your religion wants to kill me. It's like what kind of childlike dumb fuck would say like, let alone think yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that, but say something like that. Yeah. And the sad part is, like, I feel like that kind of guy might even like listen to Sam Harris or something. You know, it's no, like that's not, no, of course. Th- that's the kind of mindset that that breeds. It's um, it's a, uh, it's very, very disturbing. Yeah, and then the video of the of the other black guy who was like an inspector. And he's just at this home trying to do some inspection. And this woman, white woman neighbor calls the cops. And he's always just like delayed for an hour. And he even shows her his paperwork and stuff. He's like, no, I'm here doing my job. And then the cops come and it's just this big ordeal. Um, so that's happening. But wow. yeah, ba- back to your point about the the Sam Harris thing. I mean, let's talk about this quote unquote intellectual dark web for people who don't know who Barry Weiss is, be happy. She's a disgusting, sadistic piece of trash who is not popular. Everyone hates her, but because of her, I don't know, credentials, she got a, a, a giant columnist job in the New York Times. Well, it's so like Jamie Kirchhoff. Yeah. It's almost like you have to wonder why are these people who are so widely hated 
propped up into these little positions who are like young up and coming writer journalists. It's like, you kind of have to wonder like, who are they really working for? I mean, like who, like, who is she, what is her agenda? Like, it doesn't seem like she's just out there writing shit. I mean, maybe I'm even giving her too much credit, but it does to me, that's not, it doesn't seem that way. You know? Well, but the New York Times cultivates people like this. I mean, her That's credentials true. are yeah. that she she spent her entire college career demonizing and smearing pro-Palestinian advocates. Of course, yeah. Um, and and trying to out them and as anti-Semites and stuff. So I I feel like it's par for the course. The New York Times is so vile. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a paper that not only sold us the Iraq War, not only praised the coup in Venezuela in two thousand two. Um, and legitimizes every single U.S. military operation. But the day after this massacre, Robbie, the New York Times had the audacity to print on the front fucking page, Israelis reflect, I hope that at least every bullet was justified. I mean, how sick do you have to be to say to even, that's your, that's your front cover story after 62 unarmed protesters are executed by snipers? It's sick. And it's and sick. Just, just to clarify really quickly, that was 62 in a single day, right? Yeah, in a single day. On top of the already, so we're at, we're probably around somewhere around like 120, yeah. 130 casualties total since the Great and, March of Return. And one day, and let's let's talk about this, and we'll bring in Barry Weiss into this, um, just for people who obviously haven't been you know following the day to day updates. Last Monday. The day of the Nakba, which is the catastrophe, the genocide, the ethnic cleansing and mass expulsion of 750,000 Palestinians, um, 1.3 million still live as refugees inside Gaza. Gaza is not a separate state. People who say that this is a border are kind of missing the point that this is actually just a fence keeping people into a caged prison. 1.8 people live there. Um, they, they, 97% of all water is, is contaminated by sewage. They have literally three hours of electricity a day. It's one of the only places in the world, I think, that you can't even leave as a refugee because you'll get shot by Israeli snipers uh, if you try to go out too far on a boat to fish. There's zero agency to live. There's zero dignity for life. Um, Egypt is a client state of Israel and the United States, and they cannot go through there either. It's a militarized border on both sides, and they even count calories to allow in and out. They they don't allow concrete. They haven't rebuilt since the 2014 war. So fast forward to, to them protesting because they don't have anything else and they have to protest because they are living in a living Holocaust. And so, yeah, Israeli snipers after six weeks of these, these recurring protests shot with live ammunition, 1300 people in one day, 1300 people in one day were shot with live ammo, a lot of these were exploding bullets, the dumb, dumb rounds that literally shred apart your bones. So a lot of these people who were shot can't get help. They're going to be amputees. Even if they could have gotten help, they, they can't travel to get treatment in Ramallah or, or anywhere inside of Israel. So they're trapped in Gaza. The hospitals were completely overloaded. I saw this interview that was horrifying, Robbie, with a doctor named Tarek Labani on Democracy Now!, he was crying. It was very difficult to watch because he was there. He was there in this medical tent. And he said that every time they would try to leave, he was there with 19 paramedics in this one medical unit. And every time they would try to leave the medical unit to help Palestinians, the bullets would start flying right toward them. They were all wearing clear orange vests, visible medics. They said that there's absolutely no doubt in their mind that they were targeted 
by the snipers and that they were deliberately trying to kill every single one of them. They're lucky that only one of them died. His friend died. You know, they're there 3D printing tourniquets because they can't they can't bring these devices in there to help save lives. This guy is just like my friend died. He was targeted by so seems like how, why, you know, what are you saying about 19 paramedics who were shot in my unit? And he, there's this harrowing photo of him standing with his friends. And he's like, every single one of these people were shot and one is dead. Um, and and this is on top of, you know, the press and the children, the seven children who died in one day. And if I fucking hear the word Hamas one more time, I'm going to punch someone in the goddamn face. Because even if that were true, let's give these people the benefit of the doubt. These asshole propagandists who have zero critical thinking skills. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt that Hamas told people to go protest. Who did the fucking killings? It's so, it's so, so absurd. I mean, we know that Hamas didn't tell them to go protest. <laughs> that this was a planned protest for a very long time. And in fact, um, there's a lot of evidence that Hamas... Um, was actually like purposely, like not not. When I, I don't, I was gonna say the term stood down. That's not even really they accurate. Did. But they but they like yeah. I mean like they didn't involve themselves because they didn't want um, that sort of like they know what will. I mean they're smart enough to know what will happen as if they, they actually staged some kind of attack at the at the fence. They didn't do that. Um, you know they didn't give they didn't hand out weapons and send militants to the fence. So I don't even understand how that's even holding up to basic scrutiny. Is it because Hamas claimed some of the people who died were their fighters? Like, that's all it takes? I, I just, sorry, I already mentioned that earlier, but it's just maddening. It just doesn't, I don't understand how that can convince people. It really does seem to be, you know, it activates the, it gives you an excuse to be in denial, basically. You know, that, that, that story about, oh, all these people who died, were claimed as Hamas fighters by Hamas. Um, and and that's just really sad to me that someone could look at that and be like, oh, okay, now I don't feel bad about all these people being murdered in cold blood by snipers. Um, so. I don't even, like, can you even imagine? There's several points here. One is that Israeli officials already have declared everything inside of Gaza as a Hamas target, including journalists. You know, when the al Shiro journalist tower was bombed back in 2012 mm -hmm. during operation pillar of cloud they said we knew there were journalists in the building every building and every person in gaza is a hamas target mm -hmm. um so already the logic is just out the window so 1.8 million people are worthy of execution because they're affiliated with the democratically elected leadership and also the armed resistance that is actually legal and justified under international law um, so that's bizarre to me that people are just like, oh, well, whatever you're, you know, they're all Hamas targets. And plus that's a, relying on one guy's testimony that's just been repeated ad nauseum. And again, like you said, just totally legitimizes the massacre, I guess. Another point is even if they were Hamas, and that's not to mention, obviously, the journalists, children, medics who were deliberately executed and the amputees and the 1300 unarmed protesters in one day, 3000 total, you know, over the course of these weeks, even if those 50 people were Hamas, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. You're saying that affiliation with a political group makes you worthy to be extra, extra, executed extrajudicially. That's incredible. 
Yeah. I can't even imagine. I mean, even like other than ISIS, which we've talked about extensively, like how disgusting it is that we've just dehumanized. Like you could just bomb like those ISIS caves, drop the Moab mini nuke. Yeah. And then no, be like, well, no we just drop cares. them on ISIS caves. Just they're all ISIS. It's like that. that's the level of dehumanization to Hamas. Well, I agree. Where and you're Hamas. And I think that that mindset is very dangerous. And that's why I go after leftists and people who talk about ISIS and using that kind of language, like acting like they are animals and talking about them as if they're not humans, you know, like these jihadi, like head choppers and shit like that. It's like, that's a really um, not a good uh, mindset to be putting out there. It really does tap also, into the reptile you know what's brain. Interesting is, what's interesting about it is even like they're falling into like dehumanization and like Islamophobia because even Nazis aren't dehumanized like that. Like if Nazis, you know, if the, if the people in Charlottesville, let's just say sharpshooters just took out all the people in that march, what would we be talking about? You know, I mean, why is it that white Nazis who essentially share the same ideology as probably the most militant ISIS people, they're just not out there, you know, carrying out this for whatever reason, the circumstances of, of, you know, where, how Nazis are in this country and elsewhere that's the same logic that Nazis, you could just execute them in mass having a rally here. And that's justified because they're Nazis, but that's not even the same thing. You know what I'm saying? It's like Nazis are given more credit. Um, and, and then, than Hamas and ISIS, it's like, they're just so dehumanized to the point where they're just animals or insects that, um, you don't even bat an eyelash when, when f- fucking 62 people are killed, by snipers. Yeah. And let's, and let's just make sure we clarify that like, we don't, I mean like uh, Hamas and ISIS are so vastly, di- such vastly different right. entities that there's right. the only com- reason we're comparing them is because we're showing how it just gives an excuse for society to dehumanize a group by just calling them, Oh, they're ISIS, you know, without even considering the fact that even someone might've even been just swept up and forced to join ISIS or, or they were worried that they'd be killed or punished in some way. Um, but like Hamas, I mean, Hamas is pretty hands off in terms of the way that they like, you know, they don't enforce, you know, everyone's like, Oh, Sharia law, you know, they like, you know, it's all this shit like in Palestine. It's like, they're pretty goddamn hands off like the Palestinian people. Um, and that's Absolutely. the way I think the Palestinian people prefer it. Like they don't, they don't like worship Hamas there in the same, you know, so I don't know. It's just, it just bugs me the way that this just gets so distorted. Um, oh yeah. Oh and, my God. And, and, and also yeah, like if ahead. your relative is killed, you know, and you want to, you want to f- go fight the IDF. I mean, there's really only one option. It's like different sects of like Hamas militias. So that's also like something that people don't seem to understand. It's not like these people become like rabid jihadist terrorists or something, um, you know, in a vacuum or that's even what they become. Like it's not even about religion for them. So that's why it's just so, so sad to me that that's just a blanket excuse. Um, and I guess that's yeah, really no, all I have Hamas, to say about it. No, I mean, they're, like you said, the people who are victimized by the brutal occupation and apartheid settler colonial state join Hamas. They lose their friends and family. They join Hamas because that's the only agency that they have to fight their colonial occupiers and the people who are brutally controlling every aspect of their life. Um, and when is Norman the last Finkelstein time? has had some great things to say about this. Yeah. I was just going to say, when is the last time that there was like someone killed by a Hamas rocket attack or anything like that? I mean, it's been quite a while, you know, even during the 50, was it 50 day war? 
Yeah. Well, Miko Pilet has some really good things to say about this. We just cut a little clip that was unreleased from the interview that I did with him about the Holy Land Five. But he talks about, I asked him about this. I was like, you know, we hear all the time that Hamas and his niece died from a Hamas suicide bombing. Um, but he, unlike a lot of Israelis, is actually, you know, went introspectively to ask why did this happen and, and why does Hamas exist and all this stuff. But Anyway, he was just saying there there's no terrorism recently. I mean, like you see just once every maybe couple months, there'll be like a Palestinian who tries to stab a soldier. Um, and he's just like, what do you expect? He's like, what do you actually expect is going to happen? He's like, what's amazing is that not more people are trying to like commit terrorism. He's like the fact that Palestinians have largely embraced almost complete nonviolence in the face of such brutal daily aggression is astounding it is astounding. And I, and it was really refreshing to hear, you know, an Israeli um, anti-Zionist talk about it in such a frank and honest way who has suffered from actual terrorism in the past. But I mean, to your point, they always say that they're like, well, there was terrorism before we did this blockade and before we put up the apartheid wall. Um, that's ridiculous. You can jump over the wall. It's not, you know, like that. It's not that hard to commit acts of terrorism. So to, to act like this Gaza blockade is somehow preventing Jews from getting slaughtered in mass is nonsense. And I hear this time and again, where these hypotheticals are essentially just used to justify slaughter. They're like, well, they want to kill Jews. It's like, well, only one side is slaughtering another. Isn't that funny? Mm -hmm. So the hypothetical nonsense that you're telling me of why they need to get killed, one side is actually doing the killing. Mm -hmm. It's crazy to me. It's, and these um, people who are like, they knew that they, they were like, they knew that they would get killed. Um, you know, they, they put them in harm's way. They're like, that's how little Hamas cares about life. It's like, wait, but, but the snipers still put a child's head in their scope and pulled the trigger. Like, is that, should we feel bad? Like there was actually, it's so insane, Robbie. And I want to talk about Barry Weiss in a second, but the Washington Times actually had an IDF spokesperson just given an entire page op-ed to sympathize with the snipers, imagine how how hard it is for them, right? To kill all these unarmed children and people. I mean, it must've been really difficult for them that they had to do this, Robbie. They have to protect their border. And then to say, look, you guys fell for it. Dumbasses, dumb libtards fell for it again. Another oh, yeah, Hamas propaganda scheme. Oh yeah, you fell for a PR scheme. stunt. This is all- Fell for it, dude. Basically what they, You think there were peaceful protests, you dumbasses? You fell for it. Basically what they're implying, it's almost like they're one step away from almost saying that this is one giant like suicide bombing ploy and you yeah. fucking fell for it, you stupid yeah. liberals. Like they're fucking yep. like, these people are like human shield fucking like martyr suit. Like they basically all were just like trying to get themselves killed to be on TV to make people anti-Semitic. <laughs> like, can you imagine being that crazy to think something like that? Well, apparently Bill Maher is. Well, yeah, he, he is. And and sadly, I would say that mo the majority of people in Hollywood are too. I mean, they, they buy into this Hasbro. Um, and it's just sad because, I mean, even someone like Sarah Silverman, as I was saying, seemed to be inching towards, you know, Palestinian uh, rights activism. And then she just all of a sudden just couldn't handle the pressure and just like started tweeting out literal Hasbro about how everybody who was killed was a moss. And I just was like, wow, that's, that's really telling. Um, um, and, and that guy who wrote the IDF spokesperson um, said in the article, he said, there can be no such thing as peaceful protests in Gaza. 
He said everything is funded and sanctioned by Hamas. He said calling this a protest is fake news. Um, wow. So again, everyone's a Hamas target. Everyone's worthy of execution. No, you know, and this is, this is what the genius thing that Hamas did. What they basically showed us is that there are no boundaries for Israel. There is no line that they cannot cross because they actually completely abandoned all violent, um, or, you know, resistance measures whatsoever. And literally, um, like you said, I mean, 35,000 Palestinians unarmed protesting in mass, um, their imprisonment, Hamas had nothing to do with it. Um, if Hamas was there, then they were just there as part of these peaceful protests with no guns and no weapons whatsoever. Um, and the fact that the world still finds them animals, um, barbarians who are worthy to be executed, even as unarmed children amputees, press and medics are, are assassinated. Um, and to have the cover that Hamas somehow staged this or sent these people out there is beyond comprehension. It really is beyond comprehension. I mean, you know, the flotilla thing was horrifying and it woke me up to a lot of the way that this is covered. The Gaza war horrifying woke me up even more. The 2014 war where 500 children were slaughtered, mm -hmm. but still there was kind of that fog of war where Hamas was, you know, there, there were IDF soldiers who were killed. There was rocket fire being launched, even though it was glorified fireworks and not hitting anyone. Yeah. It's like the but weakest this, ass rockets ever. Like watch some of these like, ass rockets Hamas ever. rocket attacks. And I remember yeah. even Eli Lake was tweeting a video of like a measly little like rocket coming out of like a tube dug in a hole to try to show that that's why the IDF had to bomb those UN um, those UN shelters because Hamas fired like a measly ass, like firework style rocket, like a few blocks away from one of them. So, oh, this is why the IDF need to bomb yeah. a fucking UN yeah. shelter. Like, are you yeah. people yeah. this and psychotic? And like it's nuts. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> nuts. so, and so I really thought this time, Robbie, I really, really thought something was going to change. I was like, how could they possibly cover this up or talk about this? Mm -hmm. And sure enough, Rob, um, same shit. I mean, I, I, I really felt like I was living in like this inverted reality well, yeah. for the past week. I mean, I, I, it's just, it's stunning. That's every, why every headline. That's why it's fascinating to see like when the truth comes out sometimes on the media, like, um, there was a, I think it was PBS news hour, maybe it was MSNBC. There was just, they were like talking about how the optics of this look for Trump politically. And if this is going to help him in the midterms. And then this guy just is like, you know, I, I'm sorry, but babies are dying. Women, children are dying. Like, and we're talking, sitting here talking about politics. And, and wow. then like every, like the two other panelists were just like, didn't know what to say. And then like the woman was like, well, Trump's spokesperson said these were all Hamas. Oh my God. Like he lit, it was just like you, it's like people's. You, you can't main, you can't toe, toe the line forever. Like the media can't completely lock down this narrative. The, the truth will come out a little bit, but it's like, it's really, I mean, it feel it's like you, you when you see something like that, you almost like feel it in your body. You're like, Oh my God, like this is actually someone getting the truth out on like live TV. Like this is, this is means something. Um, and also how funny is it that the CNN or MSNBC woman, I, I know who you're talking about, just, you know, they all hate Trump, but for some reason she's like, well, Trump's spokesperson says. That's what's so fascinating about this is because it's like Israel, this, this thing with Trump and Israel really does sort of, I don't know. I mean, it's even what Barry Weiss said when we'll get to it, she was like mad saying, you know, this should be a liberal issue. Now Trump is turning it into a right wing one. 
you know, ah. pro-Israel. Oh my God. No, this is the face of like, Israel, dude, baby. This is idiot. why the alt-right Nazis love Israel. Yeah. You, 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 uh, if Barry was being honest, she would say, you know, Netanyahu's Likudnik government is so right wing that they actually make Trump look pretty liberal in comparison. Yeah. Like they are Let's- viciously right wing. Netanyahu is widely blamed for generating a populist uh, uprising to the point where a crazy Zionist murdered the Israeli prime minister shot him in the face. And most people blame Netanyahu for riling up the public against Yitzhak Rabin to make that happen. That was in the 90s. This motherfucker has been going for like 20 more years after that and getting crazier and crazier every year. So. Let's talk about Barry Weiss. This is a woman who, like we said, um, her whole career in college was uh, dedicated to smearing Palestinians and pro-Palestinian advocates. Now she's working for the New York Times. She's a terrible person. Um, um, She wrote a whole article right after I went on the Joe Rogan podcast highlighting all these amazing intellectuals, the Jordan Petersons, the Sam Harrises that are given this space and how incredible, you know, these people are pushed out of the mainstream, not because their, their ideas have been debunked and widely discredited in actual science circles. No, because they have forbidden knowledge, right? Race science and, and basically covering for the patriarchy and rebranding it as if it's like some revolutionary thing is like super like hardcore and they have to go like underground to get this out there. But then there's the (laughs) other side of it, right? Where Joe Rogan provides space to people like Alex Jones and me. Her two examples were basically Alex Jones, who talks about the moon landing for three hours, and Abby Martin, who's given, of of course, the former truther Mm -hmm. smear, which is you'll see everywhere. They can't not say that. Which is, And then she said, who who lets her rant for hours um, about, you know, Venezuela and Syria. And it's like, isn't that funny that like we're the dangerous ones, right? But but when you know how much of a hardcore Likudnik Zionist she is and how sadistic she is and how much she really hates Palestinians and wants them all basically to die, it actually makes a lot of sense that my rant on Joe Rogan really, really, really upset her a oh, lot. Oh yeah, absolutely. Your name started to come up, you know, in all these smears right after you appeared on Joe Rogan. And on one hand... People, you know, got really upset at you just speaking the truth about Venezuela, what you saw and what you reported there, and then also what you reported in Israel. And you got slammed from, you know, has-been hack John Stossel, who had to retract his stupid little bitch-ass report for Reason Magazine, because that's where he fucking works now, after being, like, demoted over several decades, like, demoted down the media ladder. Um and I thought that was pretty funny that he admitted to literally not watching your coverage, yet he used clips of your Telesaur report in his hit piece against you. So he literally acknowledged that he did not pay attention to anything you had said and just like edited together a smear piece on you just because he was mad that you work for Telesaur. Um, that's pretty fucking pathetic. And I don't know where he stands on Israel or anything, but, you know, libertarians like him aren't, aren't good on Israel. Um, he's kind of like a shitty one. Um, and, and Barry Weiss um, obviously was very upset at what you had to say about Israel. And I mean, people like her think, you know, being called a truther is a smear. Um, I don't personally think it's a smear, but to a lot of the general public, it is a smear. Um, so it is it's just interesting to me that that's still being used as like a pejorative term. 
Um, yet we've we like after the 28 pages were redacted, like we know now that the Saudi Arabian government literally had involvement in 9/11, and Bandar Bush was actually being funded was actually partially funding some of the hijackers. Um, so I just find that interesting that that's still being used as a smear against you, um, even though you've been vindicated so many times on that issue, and. And then trying to compare you to Alex Jones, who we regularly criticize on this show um, as a dangerous charlatan um, who uses conspiracy culture to make money and to get clicks and to dog whistle people into being like dangerously unhinged. So, um, And another really funny point about the, the John Stossel report, um, again, funded by the Koch brothers, right? So I'm, I, he, he basically insinuated that I, I'm a paid liar for murderous dictators. Like I literally am paid to lie. And he highlighted Liz Wall as somehow this, this exemplary journalist who, who went on to do real journalism, really working for NATO and the Israeli government is actually worthy, honorable journalism. But I went on to work for Venezuela and Cuba, these murderous dictatorships, and I'm paid to lie on behalf of them. Like you said, he had to retract it. He, he made several false statements egregiously. But here's a, another amazing point, Robbie. In his report, he sits down with this guy named Fergus, who worked for an organization called the Antigua Report. I couldn't find out who funds the Antigua Report. It looked like a fake shell organization, one of these like menial think tanks that just write policy prescriptions and somehow you can't really find out who's, who's actually funding it, you know? But one thing I did find out that was really interesting is that Fergus regularly interacts with Nazis on Twitter. Um, Faith Goldie, a woman who recently appeared on the Daily Stormer, um, who is one of the most right of the alt-right YouTube personalities. He regularly is praising her, interacting with her, like open fascist. So that's what I found it funny. I was like, wow, you really, um, you know, you know, I, I know that, that that word is thrown a lot around a lot and erroneously used, but like this guy was like straight up, like not trying to hide his political leanings at all. And I was just like, wow, how curious that this group is like who John Stossel chose to try to debunk Telesur as dangerous propaganda. It was very interesting. I mean, he was just such a sloppy hit piece in so many ways. But like you said, the fact that he mentioned Liz Wall as being in contrast to you as a heroic truth teller just shows how much of a dumb motherfucker he is for just not even doing like basic research. It's like someone like him knows who PNAC is. So like he obviously didn't even like look up the fact that she was basically being groomed and coached by a uh, project for the new American century neocons to like defect from the network. I mean, it's just sad. Um, but uh, I guess let's, let's talk a little bit more about Barry Weiss because she went on to the Bill Maher program, of course, um, along with, I think Evan McClellan or something, that CIA guy who said he was one of his jobs for the CIA was to try to convince Al Qaeda to work with us who later said, like, it's a conspiracy theory that Al-Qaeda, like, had any involvement in the CIA rebel program, even though he's he literally tweeted that, like, a couple years earlier. Um, that was the panel. It was him, Dan Savage, who said, say yes to the Iraq war. He wrote an art editorial in The Stranger. Everyone worships the fucking ground Dan Savage works on, uh, walks on because he's, like, a sex-positive revolutionary in that way. Like he, he really, he was sort of like the modern version of like Dr. Ruth, you know, for like, for like young people. Um, but beyond that, Dan Savage's politics are absolutely horrendous. Um, and, uh, 
he he sat there when they brought up Gaza and just nodded his head to a two minute long, essentially genocidal rant by Bill Maher and Barry Weiss about why the Palestinians are tricking everybody into feeling sorry for them for dying. Yeah, tell them what Barry Weiss actually said because it's really, really shocking. She's just like, I can't believe that we're falling for this. Like, this was a PR stunt. Like, I really, it really upsets me that we're all falling for this. Like, this should not be a, a right-wing issue and Trump is turning it into one. And this really should be like a, like a liberal issue. And I mean, she went on and on and on. You can watch the clip. Um, I'm actually well, let me not just doing jump in just- really quickly. No, this is fine. She, what's amazing, Robbie, is that she actually insinuated not not just insinuated, outright said that Hamas staged the date when when uh, omitting the fact that this was already planned to culminate at the Nakba, like we said, the catastrophe when Palestinians were ethnically cleansed, the right mm-hmm. to return, the UN resolution that authorizes this. They all, were all planning the culmination of the protest for this date. It was Trump who outrageously planned the Jerusalem move for the Nakba. He actually planned that on the day of like this Palestinian genocide. And Barry Weiss made it seem like, no, Hamas staged the protest to culminate on this day to ruin ruin the embassy opening. So then we can have a side-by-side meme of Ivanka looking like she's at a country club next to dead children. Like really, oh, oh, Hamas knew the meme. They actually staged this meme on the internet of a side-by-side freeze frame of Ivanka versus dead kids. That's how insanely sick these people are. And then you have Bill Maher going, I totally agree with you. He's like, it was all staged. They totally planned this. They planned what? For a side-by-side meme to be made of Ivanka Trump next to dead kids? What's wrong with you people? I can't, I'm sorry for being angry. It, I... I, I feel like I haven't been this angry about something in so long, but I can't even help but just get just outraged every time I even think about or see these people talk well, about this. Well, it's just one of those, it's just one of those times where it's like, it reminds me of how we used to feel during the Obama administration when he was doing these horrible, outrageous things, drone bombing children, and nobody would care except for like Glenn Greenwald and like a handful of other people, you know, who are semi-mainstream at the time. Mm-hmm. Um Back then, we didn't have this sort of populist, you know, supposedly anti-war alt-right screaming at Obama, too, for those reasons. They were just screaming at him because they thought it was a secret Muslim and a communist, you know, right? because they're dumb as dirt motherfuckers. But now they act like they're anti-intervention. So they always like concern troll, you know, normally, like when it comes to like bombing Assad or now they bring up Libya all the time to like act like Hillary Clinton is a bigger war monger than Trump. Um, but yet on this issue and pulling out of the Iran deal, they're nowhere to be fucking found defending like the Palestinians or Iranian sovereignty. Just like I predicted, I've been saying for months, um, actually a year, that the alt-right is inexplicably anti-intervention in Syria and not anti-intervention in any other area. You know, they all would have been for the Iraq war at the time. They just act like it's a mistake now, just like Trump does. So it's it's just interesting that we, you know, people tell us, you know, Cernovich is going to help us fight the deep state. And yet, if you look at his timeline, when the Iran deal was pulled out of, and then this Gaza massacre, he's just constantly talking about Hamas and how the Iran oh deal must be bad God. because John Kerry likes it. So it's good that we pull that. Like, that's the logic that these people are operating at. Oh, and even even better, 
watch this interview. If you want to see something even worse, and this is, you know, not as noteworthy because it's not on the Bill Maher show, but watch, if you want to see something worse than the Barry Weiss appearance on Bill Maher, watch George Galloway debating with Laura Loomer on this issue. What? Is, why was he debating with her? I mean, he's de- he's debating with her. I, I don't know why he invited her on, but he makes her look like Jesus. even crazier than I even thought she was before. So in a way, I'm kind of glad he brought her on his show because she looks like a fucking insane person. He can't even get her to answer the simple question of, do you think all the Palestinians are terrorists? And she like refuses to answer the question at the end of the interview. And then she's like, you know, George, no, I I, actually, no, I don't think that because some of them are Christian. And (gasps) he's like, wait a second. So you just said that all the Muslim Palestinians are terrorists? And oh she wouldn't answer that God. either, but it's like, yeah, she does obviously think that. Well, Laura Loomer has sold her soul to the devil because she, she's only 24 or 25, but she looks like she's like your 45-year-old, like, divorced mom who just, like, rocks like a Trump dog collar. Um, and probably, you know, she was one of the people who was um, riding the Griff train, taking the Mercer cash, interrupting the Julius Caesar play like just trying to grift as hard as she fucking could her and a couple other these alt-right morons accused each other of like rape a couple months ago like she's just like constantly trying to get attention but for some reason she has a huge following now she grifts really hard and gets a shitload of money and backing and she was in israel when all this happened like like talking just constantly regurgitating idf talking points and oh yeah like, and i love too amazing. how all these alt right idiots have adopted this idea that it's a border fence and oh they're just trying yeah. to stop it's like this is what yeah. we should do to immigrants like right. they they protect their border it's like dude it's in it's a border it's not a border fence because the uh, like it's in one country like <laughs> this is this is literally a prison fence right this right. is not yeah. a border yeah, yeah, yeah. fence you fucking idiots yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to see that because it's going to piss me off. But um, a couple points is that would these people who think, you know, who who agree that these people are being caged? It's like, well, would you have also would you have supported Jews in the Warsaw Ghetto revolting against Nazi guards? Would Absolutely, you have? they would have. And if you wouldn't have, then why? Well, I mean, but that's and the I funny like thing. It's like, it yeah. depends on the each event. So if you said like, would you support like slave uprisings against like Southern slave yeah. owners? They'd be like, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> like they, they like think, would think like, uh, like what's his face? Like the Nat Turner, like slave rebellion is like a terrorist attack, you know? Probably yeah. there's a Denise D'Souza short film about how it was already, I bet. Yeah. So Anyways. it's just the same logic to me. It's like, you're in a ghetto, you're in a Holocaust and yet you, you actually don't support armed resistance against like the occupiers and colonialists who are subjugating you. Like, wow. Um, because it really is the same thing. Um, and then you have uh vice who you've extensively talked about, check out the moderate rebels podcast. Robbie talks about why vice is just a, a complete Imperial mouthpiece, which I got a lot of hate Oh, and I wanted to talk shit about Tim Pool too. What a fucking baby. This guy, okay. Oh, because he was mad at what you said about Venezuela and he took it personally. He's a a little fucking baby who's super desperate for attention. The thing is he has zero ideology because he's too dumb. Um, So he just grifts super hard and he he just like blows in the wind. What was really shocking is that after I went on Joe Rogan and just simply talked about how Vice was disappointing in its coverage of Venezuela... And which, which it is, you see that one of the vice founders who was in Venezuela just totally glorifying these protesters. 
never actually talked to them or interviewed them, but just saying, you know, they're badasses, they're revolutionaries, they're, they're all starving, you know, that kind of stuff. So I was criticizing how insane that was counting, um, talking about my personal experience of actually being chased out by a lynch mob of fascist people who were burning black Venezuelans alive and burning down maternity clinics and food distribution warehouses. And Tim Pool like jumps in and he was just like, I like, I, I did a bunch of research before I went to Venezuela and like, it's super fucked up to be like, I towed a line. He's like, I didn't tow any line. And I was like, well, why? I was like, Hey Tim, uh, thanks for jumping in here. I was like, so why did your coverage actually just totally repeat and regurgitate like nothing but like Western propaganda then? I was like, did you just miss the fact that there are like tens of millions of pro Maduro people? Did you miss the fact that like, there's a whole other side of this economic crisis that you actually didn't care to explore? And he just like kept repeating the trope that he, you know, he, he didn't repeat the line. He just like, he did all this research. And then he, and then he basically told me he got chased out of the country by pro government people. And I was like, oh my God, that's crazy. Um, I don't believe you. I was like, but where's the coverage? I was like, that's nuts. I was like, did you put any of that in the report? He was like, no, cause I didn't want to make it about me. And it's like, wait, so well, did you, and he was like, yeah. And he was like, I also interviewed like pro government people, but I just didn't include it because it like, because it like didn't fit in the report. And I was like, wait, so you're admitting that you actually omitted the other side of the story on behalf of who did vice tell you to do that? Like I couldn't get a straight answer from him, but it was just so sad that he conceded his point. And then he just started to call baby. both you and I conspiracy theorists when I was yeah. trying to show him like, here's obvious pro U S state department spin in Ukraine, um, literally whitewashing embedded, you know, like, the, the vice reporter they sent out there was embedded with the Azov Battalion. Let me repeat that. He was officially embedded with Azov Battalion in Ukraine, the neo-Nazi militia uh, that fights alongside the Ukrainian army. During this series of reports, he has a little aside where he's like, you know, some people have like said that this group is kind of like too into like German culture and like listens to too much black metal. And there's some controversy about like their far right leaning views. Um, and then in the third report, they only mention in the description that this group has alleged ties to neo-Nazis yet. The reporter is literally doing a stand up, like shot near a double lightning bolt caravan. And he didn't even like mention it. Like this is a fucking like neo-Nazi symbol, like looks like a straight out of like Indiana Jones like caravan behind him. And he's just like talking casually about how this is like the good side of the Ukrainian war. Um, and it's very, very surreal. So crazy to the point where it is impossible for me to believe that that reporter on his own decided to whitewash that. Like that seems like a straight up fucking editorial agenda. Um, and like I've said for years, I think that the vice directly coordinated with parts of the Obama administration. Um, you know, so, and I think oh, that there's like, enough evidence to prove like that there conspiracy. was a direct pipeline to vice in a way that there really wasn't with other media networks that in a new way that we haven't seen before. Um, well, and, and the reason Tim that Poole, I'm even bringing this up is because vice's coverage of Netanyahu during this massacre. Oh yeah. They did an interview. Shane Smith sits down with Netanyahu and just like lets him have a stage to parrot the Hamas human shield propaganda and doesn't challenge him at all. Yeah. At I, all. I mean, it's, 
it's so blatant. And then at the same time, Vice runs like a, a text piece saying that, you know, this is kind of a massacre and we should we should maybe start talking about this. So nobody's going to read that. Everyone's just going to see the Shane Smith interview with Netanyahu where he just sucks his dick for 30 minutes. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was very odd that Tim even jumped in in the first place. And, you know, I, I honestly think this goes back to the fact that Tim had some kind of falling out with Joe Rogan where he got mad that apparently Joe booked him on his podcast, told him to fly out, so he did. And then when he got there, he had been double booked, and he was like really, really upset about it. And hes I don't think he's ever gotten over it, and I think he probably was very upset to see you on there um, you know, saying something that he's probably even never heard before. Because to him, in the world that he circulates in now, people think vice is like liberal propaganda, like leftist propaganda, because yeah. it's like culturally le- like liberal. Um, so he doesn't even understand. It's like completely outside of his framework to even suggest that vice pushes State Department, U.S. government, foreign policy propaganda. He doesn't. It's like he can't even comprehend that. So well, to him, it's just like, like I did. Yeah. You know, I was trying to be fair. I was trying to do this. Like, dude, you're probably just like told where to go, who to talk to, and you didn't even question like the handlers that directed you to these areas because you're dumb. And I watched him. And then he also. Yeah. I just want to mention the last thing I will say about him is that I I watched him get radicalized towards the right wing during his on the ground Ferguson reporting. He used to be more of like a left of center, like Occupy guy you know, like you were saying, and I watched him sort of inch more and more towards like getting scared of and sort of befuddled by this idea of like Black Lives Matter while he was on the ground in Ferguson. I watched like probably like regrettably like 12 hours of his live streams during then. And I remember (laughs) thinking like this guy's kind of getting, he's kind of, I could tell this is scaring him enough where he's drifting towards the right. And he did. So one more quick thing about him is that the last time I talked to him, it was very clear that he did not understand what the left is. He was arguing with me that the left has all the power in the country. And I was like, Tim, what exactly do you think is the left? I was like, you you really don't understand um, basic fundamental things about political ideologies and like um, leanings. I was like neoliberalism and like corporate po- uh, like hijacking of identity politics is not the left. The left yeah. has no political power and essentially no media power whatsoever. Again, the myth of the liberal media. This is not, this is something that's been debunked a million times. Read Noam Chomsky on the myth of the liberal media. Um, but 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 if, you, if, if you're just looking at like TV, like, yeah, I guess you could argue that the left is somehow represented in, in culture, but has zero political power where it matters or media power, any sort of influence in terms of like, and, and don't even look at corporations, obviously. Those are all owned by like multi- you know, billionaire conservatives. Well, yes. So I, I, he just, he had no fucking clue. There's two types of vice reporters to me. There's the ones that actually seem like some kind of actual sheep dipped intelligence asset of some kind. <laughs> and then there's all yeah. the useful idiots like Tim Poole who are, don't have a backbone, don't have an ideology. And who, if you read Nancy Bernhard's book, uh, Cold War Television and Propaganda, um, it, it basically goes into how the way that that industry started in the first place was by grooming all these young, fresh out of college reporters who didn't have really that much of a political ideology and could be groomed into thinking they're helping like be patriotic by helping fight communism. So that's kind of, I think, what Vice did in a lot of ways. They recruited a lot of young, naive people 
to go to these areas. Like people who want to take risks and risk their lives in foreign countries or war-torn areas or even war zones that actually don't have a political ideology. Yep, yep. That's what no, it's that's about. Exactly, that's exactly you know? what it's about. It's almost um, easier to do that than mm-hmm. it is to have someone like a Richard Engel for 10 years straight, being a loyal servant right. to your agenda. That's kind of almost rarer to find somebody who's just like an adult, grown adult with an informed worldview who's willing to just be a servant for yours forever. So it's like they need to just keep plucking these young, naive people out. That's why BuzzFeed and Daily Beast in these places are also so successful. It's a rotating cast of new people, you know? And even someone like Miriam Elder, who's on the younger side, she, you know, she was one of the biggest pushers of like this anti-Russian hysteria back in 2014. And now she's even grown up a little bit and is and is calling out the Alliance for Securing Democracy for being like hyperbolic. So you know, sometimes some of these people eventually come around a little bit, but like they, they get really get them when they're young, fresh and naive and kind of like a blank slate, you know, yep. just, and that's just the flood their problem. system with propaganda until they, that's, they think it's their own thoughts. Yeah. And they, and there's no context to any of these stories there. You know, the Shane Smith interview is just so revolting in so many ways, but like, you know, like he just lets Netanyahu interrupt him several times. He's just like, you know, today was a historic day. He's like, the U.S. Embassy opened here in Jerusalem. He's like, at the same time, there were unprecedented riots in Gaza. And then Netanyahu's like, not riots. He's like, deliberate infiltration attempts paid and organized by Hamas. It's like, okay. Um, and then another thing where he was like, what did he say? Um, I mean, just the Hamas shit over and over and over again, you know, just like letting letting it, letting him. Oh, and then he said like, the, you know, the, the embassy was open. He's like, you know, we didn't, the U.S. didn't open it for 10 years because they were afraid that there was going to be violence. And he's like, and what do you say to the criticism that's coming from around the world now? It's like, those, that was his kind of questions. Those are the kind of softballs he was throwing to a guy who basically just oversaw like one of the most egregious massacres of unarmed protesters in the history of the world. It's, yeah. I mean, I, I actually only watched a couple of clips of it, so I need to see the whole thing. But I mean- it's it's still strange to me that Shane Smith has such a big ego that he still wants to be the one doing these flagship interviews for the, his own television network. I don't understand course, why he's doing What? Of course, of course. Are I mean, it's surprised? just such an odd thing to continue to do. Like that you wouldn't hire someone who's actually like a professional interviewer who's smart and who isn't a piece of shit. <laughs> I don't know. I just Unbelievable. don't. It's just she's really jerking himself off. Is kind of what I mean. And, um, you know, I mean, it makes me even think that Gavin McGinnis has his shit together more than Shane Smith in terms of just being like a fully formed person. It's weird that Shane Smith would still be doing that. Like he just really wants the fame or so. Maybe that's it. He just really wants the fame. Um, well, I don't understand why people aren't more bothered by the fact that it just got bought out by Fox News. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? It's like Rupert Disney. Murdoch owns Vice. Like why... Like yeah, no one talks about that. Everyone's it. like, oh, know, Fox is ridiculous. It's at now, but, um, but still it's like, I mean, enough of it to I'm sure be influenced as, at some point, you know, they, totally. their whole hype is that they're fearless. They have this raw approach to storytelling. And then at the same time, they just like lay down like a carpet for power. Um, let the Israeli prime minister come on and basically say, Palestinians abandon your fantasy of destroying Israel. It will not. Um, you know, it will not be destroyed and it will not disappear. It's like, this is what, this is the message that you're sending to the world and Palestinians who are suffering under this regime. 
that's the message that you're leaving them with, Shane? Yeah, it is. Fearless, dude. Super fearless, raw, raw reporting right there. Super fearless, dude. And this whole excuse of terrorism, we know that it's even more of a lie now than ever because there's been so little attacks on Israel. Um, and I think that the idea that the, the Israeli government is afraid of basically race mixing needs to be talked about more and diluting their you know bloodline. They don't want Arabs and Jews to to like have children. I, I mean, I think that that's a big part of it. Um, I don't know. Do you agree with that, Abby? Yeah, no, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, they're very, their ethnic purity is very important to them. And I think on some level, they see that almost as an an attack. Just like a white nationalist sees like race mixing as some kind of attack. It's white genocide, you know? Um, I forgot, I forgot one really insane thing. Um, And I just saw a photo of Bill Maher and Ann Coulter at the bottom of this article, which made me remember. Wait, just really quick about Bill Maher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember he donated a million dollars to Obama's campaign? How rich is that motherfucker? And how yeah. much money does he put into Vice? Because that's who started their Vice news show on HBO, and I just wanted to. Oh my god, that you're really right. Quick. It all comes together. Yeah. Oh my god, that's so. So how much money does he have? Is he able to just fucking blow a million Whoa. dollars on that campaign? Whoa, that's such a good point. I totally like. Wow, talk about coming full circle and Bill Maher's relationship with Ann Coulter, um, and you know, and just the overseeing of Vice and Bill Maher being a vehement staunch Islamophobe who, you know, legitimizes the massacre of unarmed Palestinians. And the day that this massacre happened, Ann Coulter had the audacity to say, can we do that? Can we do this? Like quote tweeting something about how, you know, 60 Palestinians killed at the fence. She was like, can we do this? Basically saying, can we just kill Mexicans who try to come over here? Can we just like execute them? Of course. And she was also like making a, um, you know, a comment about, you know, I, I just wanted Trump to do like our wall. Like, why is he doing like, that was the only criticism she gave of, of the embassy opening up in Jerusalem. Like, why is Trump doing this when I, we should be like focusing on our wall. Deep state like killer. Yeah. Deep state killer. <laughs> and Coulter, dude. And Coulter. Um, so yeah, amidst all of this, I mean, let's, let's just, re- I, should I just really quickly talk about Venezuela or should we, um, yeah, go keep into talking it. About, keep talking about Israel. Is there anything else about Israel? No, I mean, I feel like we kind of, we exhausted it. I mean, I just hope yeah. that just, just inject something positive that more people yeah. are talking about this more often. Um, and I think it's also really important for like artists and musicians to talk about it because, you know, Trump getting in office seemed to be like a, a real Kickstarter for a lot of them to get radicalized politically. Um, very into Black Lives Matter, um, even, you know, talking about the Muslim ban, travel ban. Um, but it seems like this issue is just a non-issue for a lot of those people. And I really would like to see more people talking about it. I mean, you know, I, 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 I don't really see very many musicians or artists um, raising this issue. So we need a lot more people to speak out about it. And I don't just mean like not, you know, refusing to play in Israel. I mean, actually like just making a state, releasing a statement about it. Well, I will say that after this happened, Joe Rogan, again, got an email from Stand With Us, the organization that's an arm of the Israeli government, vehemently, blatantly lying and distorting what I said and begging for them to come on. And instead of falling for it 
and and of course he got, I mean, he even got an MMA fighter trying to give him a hundred thousand dollars to get him on. What? To quote unquote wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Yes. Wait, wait, wait. Back up. Back up. Yes. Go. Yes. Please explain that again for people who didn't hear that because I this. Okay, I don't have the guy's name, but I saw uh, I saw this all unfolding. He's a MMA fighter on Instagram. Actually, he like called me out on Instagram. He's a verified account, famous MMA fighter with a shitload of fans, and he said, "Joe, I will pay you one hundred thousand dollars." to have me come on to debunk Abby and Joe just like ignored him. But the fact that Joe was getting it from all sides, actual like bribes like that, like people trying to throw money at him just to get them on was amazing. And also again, no one that Joe Rogan has on even like they're like a lot of them are Zionists and then like the Ben Shapiro's and the Crowder's and all these people, Sam Harris, they'll all vehemently defend Israel to the day they die. Israel can do no wrong. So, but it was just so offensive to have someone on there who doesn't, believe that, you know, who's speaking for the Palestinians, that people just lost their shit. But yeah. Joe woke up. Joe woke up. He hit me up after the the, the massacre and, and he was like on vacation with his family and he was just like, you were fucking right about everything. He's like, I'm disgusted. I can't believe what I'm seeing. He's like, I this is sick. He said, why is the media not talking about this? Like it, it just calling it what it is and a massacre of unarmed protesters. He's like, it's so unbelievable. And I was like, welcome to my world, Joe. I said, the way the media is treating this, just picture that with every issue, yeah. you know, the media works in concert to whitewash this shit. Um, and it, and it's the same with everything that I was talking about. And I was just so happy that he was like, I, I'm never going to look at this the same way again. And you're right. The timing was perfect. Um, but the clat, like the, how the media was saying that it was clashes and everyone died as if everyone just fell ill of like a foodborne illness and just all died simultaneously. I mean, the way that they talked about even that, you know, the fact that Palestinians didn't get killed by snipers, they just died in clashes. Um, but for a positive note, the Natalie Portman thing, um, you know, she was kind of this liaison that they held up as this ambassador essentially to Israel. And the fact that she did boycott and, and, and people want to say she didn't, she, you know, she rejects BDS. Look, that is a boycott. When you are boycotting a conference, the whole conference had to shut down. They were even going to pay her like a million dollars to do it. And she said, no, she said recent events made her feel uncomfortable as they should make everyone feel uncomfortable. Um, and, and you absolutely should, um, speak out about this. If you see, you know, comment on any of these articles that have this passive voice and who aren't calling it out for what it is, comment, tell your friends and family, talk about this because a lot of people don't know the backstory. They don't know the history and they do see just clashes, clashes. And they, I mean, that makes you think that people are dying on both sides. Right. And they don't understand what Gaza is when they hear the word border fence. So it, it, it it's coming with a, a, a task. We must enlist on the task of, of critical thinking and spreading this information and helping people understand what is really going on there. Cause it really is not complicated. Um, it's pretty cut and dry and ha the Hasbro propaganda apparatus is not going to be able to stand much longer because there's only so many cartoons and CD ROMs that Netanyahu can parrot um, and parade around to obfuscate these, these daily atrocities and war crimes. So um, I think that the tide is turning. We're seeing everyone from the knife um, to Natalie Portman to, you know, famous musicians and stuff. And, and Stephen Hawking, as we mentioned before, the Fever Ray came huge... out and said something about it. Who? The knife, Fever Ray. The knife. The knife is an electronic duo from like um, Sweden or something. And they, they both they came out with a statement, yeah. not just yeah. The, yeah. the singer. Oh, that's good. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, so I'm, there. I'm happy so to hear just about that. you know, every little thing. Um, Azalea Banks, even though she's a little bit nuts, she just like came back from Israel and she's like, "This fucking country's nuts." Yeah. Like all I did was like experience racism the whole time. So I mean, every thing really, really does matter. It, you know, don't feel like you're just adding another voice to the choir. Like we we're at a precipice right now, and we really could push this over the edge. And this apartheid state cannot last for much longer. Palestinians have asked us to support their initiatives, to, to keep the pressure, to there's divestment campaigns going on all over the country. And this is happening. It's happening. This, this is not going to last. And I, for the first time, I really do feel optimistic about how this is not going to last for much longer. It cannot. And Israel can't help itself. Um, I agree. But, but continue to do this. So that's huge. Pressure is going to continue to grow and it will just be a question of, you know, how crazy is the U.S. government willing to be to stand behind it? I mean, we'll we'll have to see. Um, oh yeah, what did you think about Nikki Haley standing up there and she was like, "Israel actually used the most restraint out of anyone here." I mean, she's just a complete, the craziest neocon. I mean, there's this thing she says. Um, I didn't actually see the clip. I just read read that she yeah. said that. Um, so, not surprised at all. Unbelievable. Yeah. Nikki Haley's up there and how, like we said before, no one, not one person criticized this other than Bernie Sanders. And even he had to say the caveat Hamas violence. It's just stunning. I mean, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I guess I was expecting a little bit more. I really was. I wonder what Jeremy Corbyn said about it. I didn't hear anything. You know, anything's better than nothing, but yeah, the tide is turning. I mean, Judd Apatow, I know that sounds maybe small, like he's insignificant, but he's a very influential guy. I mean, he's, He's groomed and, and is, is responsible for a lot of famous comedians' success. He's been writing for comedians for years. Um, you know, I would say argue that he's responsible for Sarah Silverman's success, Amy Schumer's success. Um, you know, the even girls. maybe even Seth Rogen and all those people. I mean, he he's the one who produced all those movies like Knocked Up and stuff. Like, so he's got a very big influence on the sort of Hollywood and comedy. Um, Let's wrap it up by just quickly talking about Venezuela because um, everyone should watch my series because it's, you know, it's gone to the point where John Oliver does this segment on it and everyone's like, are you going to respond? And, you know, I wasn't surprised to see that he did this giant whitewashing piece, basically, again, parodying the U.S. criminal machine propaganda about Venezuela. Um, and he had the audacity, not even, not just like omitting crucial context, but like blatant lies, like how the U S has, he was like, for once we can look at this region and be like, the U S had nothing to do with this. It's like, wait, I'm sorry. What? The U S like, if you just, first of all, the U S has paid $30 million to the Venezuelan opposition, not, not even to mention the backing of the coup in 2002, all this money going to the opposition, all the training of paramilitary death squads on the porous border of Colombia, and the sanctions. What do you think fucking sanctions are, dude? That's an act of goddamn war. We slap sanctions on these countries, then we use their humanitarian crises and economic disasters that come out of the debilitating sanctions as more reasons to slap more sanctions on them. It's like a never-ending cycle. And for John Oliver just to admit all that was a disgrace. Of course. And then you have the elections to happen. Did you see the John Oliver thing? No, but I mean, I'm not surprised at all because I've been watching his show just casually sometimes and it just gets worse and worse. I It started... Really? When it first started airing, like, it actually was like more... It seemed to be stealing things from like RT and stuff. Like, yeah. like 
anti, more like anti-American culture, like anti-American, like America's really fucked up kind of points of view. And now it really has drifted more towards like neoliberal propaganda. And I don't know why that happened, but yeah, that I'm not surprised at all. I I read about it. I heard, saw what people were saying about it, but um, very disappointing. Yeah. And then you have an election. They have elections every goddamn six months. There's so many freaking elections in Venezuela. I can't even keep track. Um, but tons of elections. And again, Maduro won with, you know, I think 96% of the votes have been counted. He won with 6 million votes cast in his favor. The next candidate, I think, got maybe 1.8 million. Um, and you have Nikki Haley coming out saying that these elections are an insult to democracy. Maduro must go. You have Marco Rubio coming out lying about the turnout saying, you know, only 18 people came out to vote. And he was like, and it was only to get food. And then he was like, the U.S., after this disgrace of fraudulent elections, he's like, the U.S. must reconsider all policy options. This is a country where preemptively the U.S. empire said they're not going to recognize the election results. Can you imagine? And and we're talking about elections that are actually more transparent than the U.S. Um, every vote is cast in secret. It's a secret ballot. You have to prove your identity. And every vote's audited. And Maduro came out after he won and said, we're going to audit every vote. Because again, the opposition loves to claim fraud every time. And before this election, the opposition actually told all of their members and all of their supporters to boycott the elections. They said, don't don't vote because they wanted it to appear illegitimate to the international yeah. stage. And But then what was amazing, Robbie, is they want it both ways. They said to boycott the election. But then when only Maduro people came out and voted overwhelmingly for Maduro, they're like, no, this is fraudulent. None of these people are real. It's like, well, what do you expect? You just told everyone to boycott it. And then, of course, Maduro is going to win. And of course, the Maduro supporters are going to come out. But it's like, well, what do you mean? Like, they're not real and this wasn't real? It's just like they just talk out of both sides of their mouth. And they've always pursued undemocratic means to take over the country and even when they won the National Assembly in 2015, they just put the whole country to a standstill and refused to pass any legislation. So we already know, you know, you can watch my reports to find out more about the opposition and stuff. But it's just unbelievable to me that, um, you know, again, these sanctions and all these U.S. people are like, we need to invade. We need regime change. This is a fraudulent election. He's bribing people with food. What a fucking insult to the agency of tens of millions of people who are diehard Chavistas who I, I spoke to some of these people. They're way more coherent um, and understanding about the, the concept of imperialism and what politics means to them than any American that I've talked to that are just like average citizens off the streets. The fact that you think that these people are like bribed with food, that there's a gun to their head in the ballot box with their secret ballot to get a box of food. And that's why they keep voting for Maduro. I mean, it's just outrageous, insulting. It makes them look like just robots. Again, it's the same propaganda you hear anywhere. You know, they're all robots. They're all actors. They all have a gun to their head. Yeah, there's so many ways they can spin it. I mean, just as a comparison, I was watching a Vice special that had a segment about the Russian elections that Putin won recently. And in it, they were like mocking this idea that Russia had showing all the media, like a live camera feed from each like voting precinct, like, like, um, like, like place where people vote. Um, and they had this giant screen with like, it looked like almost like a hundred or like 200 different little live camera feeds all on this giant screen together. And vice was sort of mocking this idea, like, oh, look, they're trying to show that their elections are corrupt, but 
then they tried to downplay it when it like one of the cameras showed them like ballot stuffing like like that one of these precincts the locals were like ballot stuffing for Putin or something and i don't know if you remember the us media coverage of it where it just kept showing those little those little surveillance camera screenshots of yeah. like just people doing weird shit that's just like one shot yeah. you don't know what they're doing that was what that was from that russia showed that to the media to try to show them how transparent the elections are that was the missing wow. context. So I was like, wow. just get, I like, I'm, I, I guess I just didn't even like understand the context because I wasn't paying close enough attention. But, and then like the Russian officials were like, well, yeah, that's why we're showing you this so that you can see that, you know, and like, just like in every election, there will be people who will try to like stuff ballots. Like that happens in every election. Right. Right. Like that's the reason wow. we're showing you this is to show you how in most instances that's not happening. <laughs> Oh my God. I just thought that was interesting. Oh my God. I mean, just one more quick point is that, you know, people may be confused because Venezuela is a fucking nightmare right now economically. Their inflation is through the goddamn roof. People are, you know, it's extremely hard to come by very basic food items that are necessities like oil, you know, flour, things like that, that you, you need to cook and stuff. And all these items, um, you know, there are shortages and it is, it is awful. Um, and it is, there's a lot more context behind it than just Maduro is a socialist dictator and this is the failure of socialism. It's like, that's such a infantile trope. And I really encourage everyone to kind of look into my coverage to get a broader scope of, of what's going on. And economically with the country, I speak to multiple economists, but I think that this election really signifies something. It doesn't signify Maduro's popularity because I think that we can all pretty much agree, especially with an incumbent president for that long, that like he's not going to have the same energy behind him. You know, Chavez was a revolutionary and he really did have people that would fucking die for him. Like Maduro is carrying on that movement. And I think that what people understand is that the stakes are so high in the country and the poor indigenous black uh, working class people like support the process of protecting all the social gains that were advanced through the last 20 years. Whereas the same people who hated Chavez when he got in still are, you know, working to basically overturn and privatize all of the housing, you know, the healthcare, all of that stuff. And so they see the 2 million free homes for the poor, um, the alleviation of extreme poverty, the inequality, you know, I think what they're most united behind is that they know the opposition's reactionary, that they're backed by U.S. imperialism, and it would be an unmitigated disaster for the working class and poor people there. Because even the guy Falcone, who ran against Maduro, who got the second most amount of votes, even he was saying what his solution was to dollarize the economy and to basically just beg the U.S. for aid. So, I mean, we can see where that's going. And I think Venezuelans are too smart because they they were alive 20 years ago. They know what happened before Chavez won. They know they were massacred in the street. 3,000 people were massacred by the leadership before Chavez came to power. Um, and this like gross austerity that was crushing all of them. So they don't want that again. So, you know, it's confusing. It is confusing. It, it, the propaganda is wall to wall, but just, have a critical eye because if you're if you're critical enough to understand that we're being lied to about Palestine, then you should be critical enough to understand that the media is probably lying to you about this. Of course, but of course, of course, on this example, just like Israel and Palestine, um, you know the supposedly anti-intervention, you know that respects like sovereignty of other countries, um, uh, sect 
just doesn't appear. And in fact, they actually advocate for regime change in Venezuela, including people like Tucker Carlson and, um, you know, other figures who seem, you know, they're, they're right on Syria, but extremely backwards on this. And in fact, they just mimic like neocons on this issue. And they seem to want regime change and, and, and to, like us to get rid of Maduro, thinking that he's starving all of his own people to death somehow. You know, that's the kind of, <laughs> kind of shit they say. So, um, Yeah, and then meanwhile in Honduras, there's an actual coup backed by us. In Nicaragua, there's like crazy stuff going on. We don't hear anything about it. In Mexico, there's been three candidates in the Mexican elections who were killed in one week. Holy shit. Um, for local elections. So this is going on all over, but for some reason, <laughs> we just really, really, really care about Venezuela. And just like, just like for some reason, Eli Lake just really, really cares about the Iranian people. Mm-hmm. One of these days, the regime is going to fall. He's been tweeting since like 2008 or something. Just keep hoping for that day, mm-hmm. egg boy. Yeah. Get that egg to crack, Eli. And just, just breaking news. Um, uh, Mike Pompeo just announced that they're going to put the most crippling sanctions on Iran in, in history. Um, devastating but for sanctions. What? For not, what? Iran is complying sure. with the deal. What did Iran do? Um, don't know. But isn't it oh isn't it God. great that we are trying to negotiate this this detente with North and South Korea at the same time we're pulling out of this deal? You know, I, I just yeah. it's so odd. And I was wondering, I mean, I actually couldn't answer this question on the last podcast of if the timing, you know, why why is the timing happening so close together? Like, is one meant to sabotage the other? It's, I don't really understand why this would be happening at the same time. Like, why he would pull out now, um, maybe it's a co- coincidence, though. It just seems like, you know, I don't know. I just think Trump wants the photo op. I don't really think he really gives much of a fuck about anything else. Him walking Man. into South or North Korea, shaking hands with Kim Jong-un on the news, like live news feed. I think that's what he wants. And if he does that, he'll be like happy before he dies. That'd be like the biggest ego boost he'll ever get. So. So sad. Yeah. But let's hope this actually goes somewhere positive. I mean, um, you know, Trump could actually fire John Bolton tomorrow. And, uh, and I would be like, good. That let's get this North Korea thing like done with, like do like they you know I mean so I don't know that might be the only good thing that comes out of his presidency if that happens but it's not any it's not because he was a tough guy or because he used a big stick you know it's um I don't know I'm just it's it's a weird world we're living it's in it's so right now. crazy <laughs> yeah the Iran deal thing is just so so upsetting too like they did everything right mm-hmm. you know. Of course. Now we're just going to sanction them even more and normalize this this alienation of Iran and Iranians. Yeah, and and so just like sad. I said a couple episodes ago, we never forgive and we never forget. Um, you know, I mean, uh, the Iranian uh, um, revolution and the hostage uh, situation, um, we will never forgive them for that. And that was actually just uttered by Mike Pompeo today. He reminded people of the Iranian revolution and how dangerous that was and how like awful that was what they did to us uh, during that time period. So, I mean, I think it's quite evident that it's just like we're obviously never going to give up this plan. 
I mean, even during the Obama administration, there seemed to be even in, we were inching towards war with Iran then, and then it backed off like in his second term, like a lot of the hot foreign policy issues sort of seemed to cool off a little bit. Um, like Ukraine or no, no, I'm sorry, not Ukraine, but, um, you know, like the red line in Syria and stuff like that. So, um, I don't know. Unbelievable. Well, I just read a really good book about Iran from Dan Kavalik called The Plot to Attack Iran. And not only does it just outline the missing context of what we're talking about and what Pompeo is saying and Trump, but it also just like dispels a lot of these myths that like I was stunned by too. Like, I don't know, just really interesting thing like that, that um, the second largest Jewish population actually lives within Iran outside of Israel. Um and that there's like multiple synagogues there and they're it's just like really interesting and just, um, yeah, just different stuff about, about Iran that I had no idea. That you and what's that book called? Out. It's called The Plot to Attack Iran and you can order it on ebook. It's a really fun read and it just like goes through everything that basically the U.S. has done to subvert and commit terrorism and warfare. Um, just flips the script and tells the real history. Yeah, and we really need that because Great. Iran has literally like done nothing to us. Like, so no. to have to, just to have like the amount of shit we've done to them, like shown in chronological order. Totally. Um, you know, including Stuxnet and the assassination of nuclear scientists. Um, I think that's really important. Everybody knows that that's going on. Absolutely, we use Mossad to do that too. That's another reason why we like Israel. Like to bring Mossad to just carry out random assassinations. Mm-hmm. And MEK. Yeah. Which John yeah. Bolton actually said he wants to see basically sell he wants to be celebrating with MEK leaders like in Tehran Square or whatever. Like in by I the like year, how they like act like the MEK is like a legitimate like resistance group instead of like a rogue, like totally US coddled and funded little like organization. Mm-hmm. It's basically like propped up by just like Western uh, diplomats. It's very strange. It's like not like I look at the ass. They act like it has like mass support mm-hmm. in Iran. Of course, very yeah. strange. It's the same script, you know, that they've been using forever with these like fake, you know, U.S. propped up rebel groups. Mek is more of almost like the classic mold, where it's like they're. It's like it's almost like they only exist because of our support. Yet we act like like the people who go do their talks and stuff like act like they're legitimate, but it's like they know better. So I don't. It's just odd. <laughs> they're like, you know, they must know it's a ruse on some level, too. Like people like John so Bolton crazy. and Giuliani when they go, or Newt Gingrich when they go talk at MEK events, um, they're just getting paid to do it. So who the fuck knows what they really think? So should we wrap it up? Let's wrap it up, guys. Thank you so much. I hope that we we covered a lot of what you guys were looking for. And I think the missing, you know, if you if you're still anxious and you haven't gotten enough, um, check out my brother's solo podcast, please. Talking more about the Iran deal um, and my interview on Joe Rogan show because um, I go over a lot of this stuff too. So a little bit more extensive in the Israel stuff. So check those out. Check out the Activism Munich event. Um, and yeah, we're, we're going to do another uh, podcast really soon with Kyle Kalinsky. We're planning, um, and yeah, a lot of good talk. things on the horizon. Yeah. Secular talk. Um, yeah. So stay tuned guys and please, uh, consider donating to us on Patreon. Um, go to patreon.org slash media roots radio. You can donate as little as $1 per episode. Um, 
pretty much any amount you want per episode. Um, so please consider doing that. Um, if you enjoyed what you heard today and, um, and yeah, we could really use your support. Have we figured out the, the one time donation yet? Um, no, I mean, but if one, if you want to make a one time donation, uh, the way to do it on Patreon is to just donate, you know, like you normally would and then cancel the donation after one month so that once you won't get billed again in the next month billing cycle. Um, you can or you could that. just donate even like a dollar probably, you know what I mean? Like a month. If well, you just you, we, the way it we have way. it set up is we have it set up per episode. So mm-hmm. you would get billed for every episode that we do that month. Um, but if you want to cancel after that month billing period, you can do that. So that's the only way. But we, you also have a PayPal Media Roots um, you know, donation through the website that people can do. If they want to make oh, yeah, a I was just going to say, but put, but please put Media Roots Radio because I use the donations that I get through the website to pay for website, uh, you know, yeah, and the specify what it's for. all that stuff. So please specify yeah. Media Roots Radio and I'll split it with Rob. But sure. that's a good way to make just a one-time donation for sure. And if you're also, you know, if you're looking for other methods of donation, we're eventually going to have a Bitcoin um, ability to donate through to us that way. And also... Um, Abby and I will we're gonna do try some live YouTube streams eventually, which you can donate through the super chat on that once we get that going, which is sort of fun because you know we can read your questions as you're donating and you can donate like five dollars, ten dollars, whatever, and then we'll you know we'll read your question you know that you donate for live on the broadcast. So there's all different things we're you know playing with, but even just doing the idea of a live video stream is just fun you know, in and of itself. And we're, we're going to try that eventually. Um, and not just to yeah, get we're gonna extra do donations, soon. but there's all, there's all different <laughs> methods now to, you know, get some, you know, f- you know, f- uh, donations through doing independent journalism, which is exciting. And, you know, we're not just generating hatred and controversy to get, um, people to donate to us like Owen Benjamin on, uh, on Patreon. We're trying to do uh, good work here. So if you like it, please yeah. consider supporting us. Yeah, and shout out to Wolfgang and and a bunch of other people that I met um over in Chicago and in Germany who are fans and and actually donate to Media Roots Radio and shout yeah, out to you guys. It was super good meeting you. You literally met our first Patreon donor who is uh, who lives yeah. in Germany, which is pretty rad. I it was I really mean, amazing. Just, just exciting to know that there's people all over the world um, checking out what we do. I mean, a guy just po- sent me a picture the other day of him. Um, proudly displaying his uh, very heavy agenda DVDs on the on the bar top of a Belgian bar that looked like really like classic like good ass aesthetics <laughs> like a way better looking bar than anything like here in Oakland that, that I've been to so pretty cool um, and yeah so thanks for Fantastic. listening everybody thanks so much everyone tell us what you think and um, anything else that you want to see us cover in the next one and we're going to get bus one out real soon you guys rock bye